Okay, welcome to the Queen Anne's County Commissioner's Meeting. This is a public meeting that is being aired live on our local cable television station, QAC-TV7. This meeting is being streamed live over the Internet at www.qac.org, slash live. These media broadcasts provide county citizens an opportunity to watch and review our scheduled public sessions. We acknowledge your participation, and by attending, you acknowledge that this session is both recorded and aired. The scheduled agenda is available on the information table just out, outside of our meeting room. Press and public comments will be taken and is limited to three minutes per person. If you care to speak, you must sign the sheet on the information table outside. Comments longer than three minutes can be submitted in writing for the commissioner's review. During the meeting, we would ask that you turn all electronic devices off and hold personal conversations outside of our meeting room. We will now stand and be led in the Pledge of Allegiance by Commission President Jim Moran. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. If we can remain standing for a moment of silence for our state and our country, that we can get back to the middle and stop some of the crazy rhetoric. Thank you very much. We might need two moments for that, Jim. Two minutes for that. I hear you. <laughs> two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we just held a closed session for personnel matter under Section 3-305B1 of the General Article Provision. Next, we have the approval of our agenda for today. The agenda for today's meeting, February 25th, 2020, along with the regular and closed session minutes from your February 11th, 2020 meeting, were distributed electronically for review. Are there any additions or corrections? No. Nope. Nope. Okay, can Motion I get it? to approve. to approve? Second. All in favor? <coughs> Aye. Here we go. Okay. That brings us to our first press and public comment section. Thank you for taking the time to express your views to the county commissioners during this public comment period. Comments are limited to three minutes in length. Comments longer than three minutes should be submitted in writing. When you come forward, please speak clearly at the standing microphone. State your name, address, and topic of interest. Keeping with the dignity of the office, we ask that all views be expressed in a respectful and civil manner. The Commission respects your desire and right to convey your message freely. We ask as a courtesy to the Board and our citizens that you respect the Commissioner's request to refrain from naming citizens and name-calling when offering any critique. Okay. Uh, we have one person who signed up, Carrie Porter. Good evening. I'm going to read. My name is Carrie Porter. I'm an HOA property manager with communities throughout the Queen Anne's County area and DMV. We recently purchased a home in Centerville, uh, July 2019. We spent about 40 grand in repairs and renovations. Um, we are down by the um, rest area. Little did we know there's no TV or internet service at all. And my livelihood is working from home. Everything that I do consists of me working from home. We went through about seven different internet providers. We've spent over $1,600 with deposits and first month that we had to trial and error and signing contracts to later find out nothing worked. We now have three internet providers, and the main one that we just got was Broadband Q, which was off of an AT&T tower. That didn't work. Bridge Max came to our house three weeks ago, thankfully, and put a satellite on top of our roof. So far, that is the best that we have, but with four people in our household, it still doesn't work. 
So I have to go down the street to download a PDF for work. And like I said, this is my livelihood. Had we known prior to purchasing, I probably would not have purchased that house. So that to me is a very big thing. And I've been talking to Megan and Jack Wilson as well, trying to push this along. I've filled out the letter for legislature to review with Chop Tank. And hopefully on March 5th, I'll be able to attend that meeting as well. So thank you. Thank you. Would anybody else like to speak? Seeing none, we'll close the press and public comment. Commissioners, that takes us to uh, new business. We have uh, eight action items, and I think we have four additional desk items for your consideration today. They should be at your desk. So if you want to turn to tab number three, you go through the action items. Tab three, item number one on page one is the uh, Maryland Department of Agriculture Mosquito Control Cost Chair Budget that we get each year. So can I get a motion to approve that? Yeah, I move to sign the proposed mosquito control budget for 2020. Second. second. We have a motion and a second. Any discussion? Real quick. Um, so last year, I can't remember where it was. It was somewhere up on the island. There was some, uh, there was some questions about the Mosquitoes. mosquito program and, what, and some other things that had died. Did we did we ever get resolution on what that was? What caused it? I think it was some the butterflies that butterflies died or something like that. Had a, yeah. What was was that? Uh, I mean, it's a national issue about killing bugs because the bird population is down. There's a lot of controversy about spraying. So. Hmm. Okay. okay. Yeah. Alrighty. Uh, any other discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor of signing the proposed mosquito control budget for 2020 signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? Abstain? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> One abstention. All right. Thank you, commissioners. Item number two on uh, page three through 25 is a subordination agreement from um, for a mortgage <clears throat> from one of our um, critical workforce <clears throat> loans that... Uh, was issued by uh, Mike Clark in his office. Can I get a motion on that, please? I move to sign the subordination agreement for Brad Childress in order for him to obtain a lower interest rate and reduce the payment on his current mortgage. Second. We have a motion and a second. Any discussion? Seeing none. Does, oh. this, does this just roll in? Basically, is this a is this a complete? Re- Mike, can you? I'm just curious because I'm sure this isn't like the first one that's ever been done, but I don't remember any that we voted on. So is this just get rolled into a, one new loan and then he's released from completely from the obligation of the first responders loan? Or? They have that option, but he's not. that's not the way this is doing. They're actually, what you're voting for is that he's gone, his first mortgage, he's gone and refinanced it. And because the closing costs are over $5,000, it requires the commission to vote and approve that, that we would subordinate our loan of $50,000 of that. And um, in Maryland law, anything under $5,000 closing costs doesn't require your approval, but if it's over 5000 it does. So, so it'll remain, our loan will remain as a second yeah. on the house, basically. But that said, he's been actually, though, as long as he makes it his main house, he's already met his five-year requirement as a volunteer firefighter, so theoretically oh, good. he could. Okay. So. All right. Do, do we see a lot of these? Or is, uh, You're actually, there's a chance you could, typically you don't, but we were just talking today, there might be another one coming through. Because most of them, the closing costs aren't as much as $5,000. Right. So a lot of them you won't see come through. This one is over, and there might be another one coming down the pike in a couple weeks. Okay. Thank you. Anything else? Any, it, it, 
more curiosity than anything, but why was 5,000 the threshold for that? That's a question just, for the, I did, yeah, I, I don't know the answer. I can answer find that. Head, I don't know it. No, it's the legislature, state legislature. Okay. <laughs> so, Say no more. <laughs> I can find it out there. Okay, we are, the motion is to sign the subrogation agreement between Brad Childress in order for him to obtain a lower interest rate and reduce the payment on his current mortgage. All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. Thank you, Commissioners. Item 3 on page 26 is a request from the Board of Education to approve an allocation of funds from their fund balance for an emergency generator for Churchill Elementary School. I move to approve the allocation of funds towards the emergency purchase of a backup generator for the Churchill Elementary School in the amount of $47,980 from the Board of Education's operating fund balance for the year ending June 30, 2019. Second. We have a motion and a second. Any discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. Right, thank you, Commissioners. Item 4 on page 27 is a budget amendment CC21 for the Sheriff's Office to use excess funds for the purchase of two Toyota RAV4 hybrid SUV vehicles. We get a motion for discussion. So we need somebody to read this. Yeah, I move to um, approve to use excess current year budgeted funds of $66,124 originally designated for salaries and or benefits to purchase two Toyota RAV4 hybrid SUV vehicles for use by public information officer and volunteer auxiliary deputies. You know. All right, for the sake of discussion, I'm going to go ahead and second this. Is anybody here from the Sheriff's Office? No. Seeing none, uh, can I get a motion to table this till the next meeting? So moved. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Okay, yep. there we go. All right. All right, thank you, Commissioners. Item 5 is Budget Amendment CC22, and this budget amendment reclassifies existing budget authority to distribute the fire impact fees in fiscal year 2020. Um, move to approve Budget Amendment CC22. Second. Uh, all those in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? There we go. Commissioners? There's any discussion. Is there? Well, sometimes. We'll get one that looks a little bit. <clears throat> Maybe on this one. Okay. Items, item 6 on page 30 is Budget Amendment CC24, and this amendment establishes the final remaining budget authority uh, for the new county courthouse of $1.127 million. Motion to approve CC24. Second. A motion is second. Any discussion? This, John, uh, I know that... Uh, Jonathan is, is out today. He's, yeah, he's a little he's bit out. under the weather. Yeah. But uh, this is the final payment. This this is it. We're done with the courthouse. Yeah. Everything's all this paid This is up. basically the uh, the retainage that was held throughout the whole contract and a few other minor things, uh, HVAC. But, it's yeah, it's the final payment to provide the budget authority for the total. It's not an overspending. It's part of the original budget. It's right. still under uh, contract budget. Yep. yep. This is the last one. Okay. Again, we're voting to, uh, for CC24. All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. All right, thank you, Commissioners. Item 7 is Budget Amendment CC25, and we have a, uh, a desk item, action item 7A. Corresponding with that, this is for a computer firewall. The Budget Amendment provides budget authority for uh, the purchase of a new firewall for our 
uh, network system, and then the um, and there's a, a motion to purchase the actual firewall on action item 7A. So if you want to do the budget amendment first, and then we can move, move to approve budget amendment CC 25. Second. We have a motion and a second. Any discussion? Yeah, I'd like to know, Jason. No matter what happens, we're not nothing's coming through that firewall, right? That's certainly the plan. Yes, sir. <laughs> Okay, then. We don't want to be in the news like Sold. <laughs> okay. It's the wrong uh, way to make We're news. voting on CC25. All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. All right, then, commissioners. And desk item 7A is actual the, um, the, the motion to purchase the firewall and the upgrades to the system. I move to approve the recommendation of the Department of Budget, Finance, and IT to purchase the firewall from the Teneo Group for a total purchase price of $136,507 for labor and hardware. Second. Second. We have a motion and a second. Any discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. Right. The bad guy's out. Right? All right, commissioners, uh, action item number eight. On page 32 is a request for support of the annual Ag Awareness Day. And last year, I believe... You pledge $1,000 to the... Well, be a gold sponsor for the fourth annual Ag Awareness Day. Second. We have a motion and a second. Any discussion? Is anybody here from that organization? No? Okay. No, but I will represent. I've been there uh, three years, yeah. and it's a phenomenal... I, I would be a double gold sponsor if we could, because mm -hmm. I know that it, it's, a, it's a challenge to bring 170, 180 middle schoolers in there in two days and, and get them fed and have them uh, play with the animals and do all the things that you would do out on a farm, but it's an incredible day, two days, actually, and uh, I would recommend it to anybody who hasn't been to it to take the time out and go this year, so... Um, you could. Nobody says you can't do it. So, uh, it is two we, days. Why don't Why don't we amend? Why don't so, we amend? So I will, I, will, I will say that I, I would like to sponsor it for a thousand dollars for each day because that's both middle schools. How's gold, that? Uh, gold sponsorship for both days. There you go. There you Double go. gold. Do we have a second? Second. We have a motion and a second. Any other discussion? Seeing none. All those in favor, signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed. So moved. There we go. Sir, thank you very much. All right. The next uh, action item. The next four actually are desk items. Um, the first one is a letter that we modeled after a letter that was sent to the Dorchester uh, County Delegation from Dorchester County Commissioners, preserving citizens' rights under the Second Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, and it was uh, sent to us by uh, Delegate Steve Ahrens for your consideration. A motion to sign the letter as patterned after the Dorchester County letter, protecting, preserving citizens' rights under the Second Amendment of the United States Constitution. Second. Second. Yeah. We have a motion and a second. Any discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. Thank you, Commissioners. And the rest of these are support letters for grants, and I apologize they came in kind of late, but these are for grant applications going forward that uh, these agencies want to supply. So the first one, item 10, is for Dudley's Chapel trustee matching grant support letter for a new roof from the Maryland Heritage Area Authority. Not requesting county funds, but they want to put this with their package we would support the, the project so they can hopefully get some grant dollars coming back to the project. Motion to sign a letter of support for the Dudley Roof Replacement Grant. Dudley Chapel's Roof Replacement Grant, I'm sorry. Second. We have a motion and a second. Discussion? <coughs> I guess I have just one question. If it's a matching grant, who are they matching to? They have a, they have a, 
uh, other donations and funds. Oh, okay. So they have, they have funding themselves. Yeah, this they, is a okay. great package. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yep. Yep. Very nice. Yep. Okay. Uh, I'll say discussion? they won't come back and ask commissioners for, for right. a, yeah, makes sense. a little bit. Yeah, I was wondering, you know, they, they, they must be showing something. Yeah. Uh, any other discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. Thank you, commissioners. Action item 11, desk item 11 is a uh, thank you letter to uh, Chairman Barbe. Uh, he was the chairman of the Economic and Transportation, or excuse me, Environment and Transportation Committee at the House. Where we made our presentation on House Bill 688 past week so uh, I moved that we sign the thank you letter to drafting regarding House Bill 688 for use of state or local highways with one modification um, instead of ending with traffic gridlock problems firsthand on Ken Island I think we just say put the period right after firsthand because the, the gridlock problems are not limited to Ken Island obviously many parts of the county are affected by the traffic problems so that would that one change that would be my motion okay, okay. second that any other discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. I was just trying to figure out what we were doing with the period. And just at the very end. At the very end. I got it. I got it. All right. <laughs> all right. Thank you, commissioners. And our final uh, action item is desk item. item oh, I'm sorry. Well, just, I'm I'm put sorry. some context so people understand what we're talking oh, about sure. with that letter. Please. I, I, I realize we'll probably be speaking about this later on, but just... If people don't want to skip ahead in the video and they want to soak in the moment right now, um, Commissioner Moran and myself, along with uh, Todd Mon and, and several representatives from the county, appeared uh, before the House delegates to give testimony on House Bill 688, uh, which is our attempt to try to get control over the local roads during peak traffic events. And the letter that we just uh, moved to sign is just a, a thank you letter to the committee there for allowing us to come and speak to them and give our point of view. They were very receptive uh, to the things that we said. They haven't voted on it yet, but that's, that's the letter that we were talking about sending. Anything else? That's it. Oh, for that's now. a whole lot. For now, yeah. not for the letter. <laughs> no, it's, it, was, it was, in my six years of being a commissioner, that was the most that I've ever had engagement from a committee and asking that. us questions. Uh, they were glued to the video, so a shout out to QAC TV yeah, that's uh, for a great, great job, video. Yeah. great video. They yeah. were they were enthralled with. We had four different delegates say we sympathize with you, and uh, it was nothing but positive. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, Heather sitting in the back, she got to testify. Uh, Dr. Ciotola was right there. Uh, uh, Director Scott Haas was there. Uh, sheriff, uh, the sheriff was there, and and uh, Tracy Schultz was there from the Volunteer Fire Department. Our lobbyist was there. It was it was a very productive and God willing it effective we'll see yeah I'll also say we're trying to get that video of our presentation uploaded to QAC 7 and to Facebook and I'm not sure if it's up yet but we'll certainly let the know uh, uh, when that's posted that. yeah. I, I try to search for it I, I mean I found it on YouTube but I don't know if it's my device or what but 10 seconds into it I lose all audio yeah and the audio is really the the powerful part of of the whole video that was done but uh did we have some citizens? Control? Oh, no, that was only, you were talking about the video that QSC TV made? There was only 12 seconds of audio, and then it went to switch to us. So the video was yeah. playing the, the, the images the entire time that right. our panel was speaking. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing wrong with my iPhone no. 5S. You're right in there on the cusp of technology. to keep up on technology. <laughs> okay. Yes, it's a 5 Number 12. S. All right, thank you, commissioners. <laughs>
Our last item for your consideration is a series of five support letters for additional grants from for the Queen Anne's County Historical Society for digitizing historical records, river map design, historical sites symposium on the eastern shore, uh, new metal signs within the county at our historical sites, and restoration of the Churchill Theater. So these are all, uh, we received these just today from Jennifer Moore, and they're to go with a uh, several grant packages, so they're going to try to get some grant dollars to support those various initiatives. I move to sign five letters of support to obtain matching grant funds for projects by historical sites and societies in our heritage area. Second. We have a motion and a second. Any other discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? Aye. So moved. All right. Thank you, commissioners. Looks like we're right on schedule at 6 o'clock. We can go into presentations. Our first one is uh, Ms. Heather Tonelli, our Economic Development Director, and Jeremy Rose, the Vice President of Safe Harbor Marina. If you want to come on down and um, you can turn to tab number six, item I. There's a little background there, and we have a presentation <coughs> we're going to show. Thank you so much for taking a few minutes and putting us on the agenda tonight. I thought it was important that we brought the newest members of the Kent Narrows area to, to come and meet you, the new um, owners of Mears Point, which is now called Safe Harbor Narrows Point. Point. <laughs> we'll get there remembering that. As you know, Kent Narrows is a significant importance to us as far as tourism and economic development goes. And this is a major property there, so I would like to turn it over to Jeremy Rose, who's the regional vice president, to give you some background on the uh, Safe Harbor as a company, as well as what they plan to do with the project. So I'll turn it over to you. Not a problem. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you all for having me here today. It's a, it's a great opportunity, and uh, it's a big step for us for Safe Harbor to become a part of this community. We've sort of scattered ourselves across the Chesapeake Bay, and we haven't really had anything central to, to this area, and, and Mears now Narrows Point is the, is the first step in that stone. Um, Safe Harbour itself, we are a nationwide company. We now have 99 properties across 20 states. We own and operate all our properties. We um, have them spread north, south, east and west. Uh, our whole goal of, of developing these properties and bringing them into the fold is to create a network of marinas that people that are participating in this lifestyle can easily connect with and, and get the opportunities they deserve. We find that the industry... Um, is at a stage where it's a good opportunity in the economy to revitalise it, and that's the steps we're taking to move it forward. Up on the screen is a timeline of events from uh, 2015 when we started through until approximately December last year. Uh, at that stage, we had 94 properties, and we've brought five on this year um, across the country, two here in, in Maryland, one being Mears or Slash Narrows, uh, and the other being Great Oak Landing. It's about 200 years of experience in, amongst our executive team. Uh, across the country, we employ around about 2,700 people, um, so quite a big provider to the industry. And there is just sort of a breakdown of, of where our properties at this stage are, are located. Our goal is not just to come into this industry, turn it upside down and leave. We're trying to develop a 100-year brand, and that is completely member-centric. 
it is great for us to come in and develop a business to a standard we believe, but unless we have the buy-in of our members, there's no point in us doing anything at all. So a big focus for us is making sure we get it right. And the way we do that is by having member feedback on a regular basis, both through surveys, face-to-face -face meetings, and each of our properties have developed what we call a member advisory council. So we actually ask the members to participate in a forum in which we can get their feedback and implement it directly. I guess the next step and what's more important to people in this room is, is what is our vision of, of Narrows Point. And I believe that you know, over the last six or so years, there's been a lot of effort put towards the development of building condominiums on that site. We don't see the need at this stage to have to take that development down that path. We believe that by optimising the marina, Fundi, putting funding back into the marina to redevelop it in the state that it is, upgrading some of the facilities around it and driving the region from a boating point of view will help us financially succeed in this area. We do identify that area as strategic, as Heather said, to both tourism and economic development, so we don't want to stop there. Some of the vision that we have there is to further increase that marine precinct as it is today, providing opportunity from a retail aspect point of view to hunting, fishing, boating, and I'm speaking on a high level here because it's a feasibility study we want to do, but we believe that that site holds a good value to what currently exists in that area. We'd like to support that as much as we possibly can. There's also some institutions there in, in Red Eyes and Annie's, and, and we believe that they are a strong part of our future, not just something to be knocked down and, and moved alongside, but we believe we can assist them in, in growing their business even further and, and providing updated and, and uh, more suitable amenities for them. I'll turn it over to you guys. I'm sure you have questions, of which I may or may not be able to answer. Um, sorry if that was a bit scattered. This is my first time sitting in front of a committee like this, and uh, I welcome more questions. So, so when you talk about the member boards that you use, do you do them specifically to the single projects, or do, is it like a regional, like the, uh, the marinas in the area would make up the board that would govern, say, four or five marinas in that area? We try and do, from a member base, we try and do it individual to that facility. Okay. We like to get the members to believe that this is their second home and that they have an impact in what we decide to do and where we head it, and, and that's crucial to our success. So when you say members, are, are you talking about... The, the folks that rent slips from you? Yes, we are. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and not and only that. see the, the, the businesses are there yes, as well. Yes, absolutely. <coughs> um, the biggest thing that we have noticed within our industry in general is that you can't do it alone. And so these little sub-businesses that support you know, the likes of, of Narrows are absolutely crucial to us. And, and we see ourselves in that landlord presence to be able to help support their, their businesses. And our marketing dollar is crucial to, to getting them out there as well. Okay. Sir, what is the slip count at your marina down here? In occupancy or no, total slip? Total slip count. I yeah. believe we've got 500 that are established, and Jason, who's been the general manager there for longer than I've been in the business, would be able to clarify that. I believe there's 500 there with 40 slips that, are, that have been pulled down and need to be rebuilt. And of those, how many are occupied, or is that... We sit at about 62% occupancy, and that seems to be the occupancy in general across the Bay region. Um, so there's a, a okay. bit of growth to be had. Thanks. Can you tell them about some of the investment that you plan to make in the property? Yeah. <clears throat> my question. Sorry. <laughs> and initially, straight off the bat, is, is modernising what we have there. There's some dilapidated infrastructure there in the sites of bulkheads and slippage that, that really do need to be brought back to life. Um, notwithstanding that, 
you know, we've, we've got funding set aside. We want to be replacing the pavement that's there. We understand that that goes underwater and is cracking up and moving. We want to get that replaced. Some of the electrical needs to be lifted and brought to code. That'll be happening. Um, we also want to invest some money straight off the bat in cleaning the property and, and throwing some paint on red eyes and bringing it back up to scratch and, and helping our tenants there promote that. Um, one of the biggest things that I like to try and involve in or get our, our marinas to participate in is eyes on site. So creating a facility that allows the community to be involved and, and come on site and hold, whether it be meetings for, for uh, community boards or host, hosting events, it's about getting eyes on site and making that a part of the community. So we need to invest the money back into the infrastructure to make that safe and secure to do so. So, so as, as far as I'm concerned, the, the 800 pound gorilla in the room is, or is it an elephant? Depends on what animal you like, I guess. <laughs> um, is the the pool there is um, one of the only public pools in the area, in the sense that people can. I mean, the Canon Yacht Club has one, mm -hmm. but um, just remember there. Yeah, so, um, there there was some concern about um, um, you folks coming in and, and how that was going to affect. Uh, pool memberships and was the pool going to be open to the public and have you guys made any kind of decisions at this point yeah. what you're doing? The pool will never be a public pool in the sense of a traditional public pool given the fact that it is you know owned by well, a maybe marina. public wasn't but I mean, no, you had to no, buy into a membership yeah to, to be. and and that will continue to happen uh, Jason has actually been working on that as the general manager of the facility at the moment and and that will be released there will still be an option for the public to be able to purchase memberships to access the pool okay so just out of curiosity, is this a 62% occupancy rate? Does that meet your business model? I mean, to, to, or do you have highs and lows with that, or is that pretty much the average? Or Generally speaking, in the marine industry, you want to aim at about an 85% occupancy. That allows you to have your transient business come through and not turn them away, but also allows for, for good passive income. So 62 is 62 a good is, for you guys? 62 is, is a number to start with. It, okay. it is what I would class as a low occupancy. We okay. would like to drive that higher. Okay. We would certainly like to get the traffic issue fixed so we could draw some folks to have their boats over here. And, you know, I know one of the challenges is, is after boating and, you, you know, you put the boat away on a Sunday, now you're looking at this daunting task yeah. to get it back across the bridge to get home. Um, but not much we can do about that. Well, we could develop, a, and it's been brought up, develop a taxi service, a boating taxi service that brings you from the western shore over to drop you off at your boat, and then you take the taxi service back. That's in yeah. private business out there for anybody who's got some money to spend. So how long have you been with this company? Me personally? Yes, sir. Uh, I started with these guys in May 2018, moved over from Australia in January 2018. So have you been dealing with the eastern seaboard on a... Yeah, so my current region covers New Jersey, Maryland, and North Carolina. Mm -hmm. um, I started off in Stratford, Connecticut with these guys and then spent some time down at Solomon's with, a com with Zenizer's Marina. So wh what are your opinions on sea level rise? And the reason I say that, because you're, you're getting ready to do a lot of improvements there in, in the Narrows, and yeah. it is one of our major problem areas in the county yep. with the, you know, the sunny day floodings. Yeah, and that whole road, and, and, part, and that's one of the reasons, we, you know, I can't speak for everybody. I was excited about the condominiums going in because they're going to raise the whole road, the whole area, two feet, get it out of that flood. And, uh, you know, you're spending all this money to upgrade your, your marina. Yeah. And so, people come and they don't want to walk through water. 
as, as I said earlier, you know, we're trying to build a 100-year brand, and mm -hmm. part of that is having a look at the future of these properties and future-proofing them. Mm -hmm. um, now, initially, will we go in there and build it up two feet? Not right away, no. But all the infrastructure that we intend to put along the water interface will be at an elevation high enough that as we move forward, these are some things we can take into, into account. So that's what we're doing uh, you know, as, as a county on the other side, across the water from you. We're, we're trying so if to, we're lowest, it's, yeah, so it's we're only going to end up in to, one to area. fix these issues. And yes. I just, you know, whatever the county can do to work with you on these on these flooding issues, we're more than willing. And I think we still got to get some utilities down there, too. Yeah. If, if and when you're going to start working on Absolutely. the parking lot of the roadway, we, we should think about getting the utilities down there so you don't have to tear <clears> up <throat> brand new stuff. Yes. Very good. So is, is there some thought to that, though, that when you build up on this side and make it higher, all you really do is force the water to the lower side to flood it out? To, you know what I'm saying? Well, the, the water's capacity has got to go somewhere, obviously. When it rises, if this if this seawall's two foot higher than this seawall, then well, more than likely get, you're going to go to the water's going to go that way because it's a path of least resistance. The water will seek a, its, its same <laughs> level. Right. But so if it's, it's so lower already, which they are, both sides are pretty much lower, right. but the seawalls are higher on the, the other side than they are, I believe, on the mirrored side or the... Uh, one is. One, one is. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So, like, where the exploration center is, that, that wall is going to be built Right, that's up coming up. That's and what I'm berms saying. put up and everything else to keep that from flooding. And I just want to make sure that you can get, you know, people who want to lease their boat, they don't want to. We have the Anthony's run, and we had the last year, <laughs> last we had to run through the flood. So, finished yeah, in the water. Flood, yeah. yeah, so just that's all. Just, you know, anything we can do to help with that, we greatly appreciate it. We, and we appreciate it. Congratulations, that. and we look Thank forward you. to your success. I know where you very much. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Welcome. Cheers. All right. Thank you both. Thanks. <coughs> Bruce, our next presentation is uh, we have uh, Catherine Willis, our Director of Community uh, Services, and Mike Clark, our Chief of Housing and Family Services, for their quarterly update. Good evening. So come on up. Good evening. Thank you for having us tonight for our update. Um, we've been in here a few times lately. Um, this is our annual report update that um, we've done for the last several years. Each of you received a copy of our new um, pamphlet showing what the divisions of the Department of Community Services have accomplished over the past year. We have been in um, prior to this and had a few um, presentations on some of the, the activities in this program. And we were looking at the last time helping citizens across the lifespan and recently we're in on the uh, transportation development plan. So our program in, or our presentation in November um, gained us the um, recognition of the lieutenant governor who came to see us um, back in uh, December and uh, visited to see how we were doing and had seen the program on the, on the website and um, was very tickled with what we were doing. So we've taken a little bit of a focus um, on actual stories and actual situations, um, whether they be aging, housing, or um, local management board, of the actual lives and people that we affect in the community and how our programs can benefit those individuals. So tonight, um, you know, I want to thank you for your support uh, very much. Without you, I couldn't do this. Um, we work, all of our staff um, work very hard to provide these services. Um, Mike and I spend a lot of time in Annapolis, and I will say I think Annapolis has been very good to us this year. Um, even some of the committees, you know, we have had a lot of attention and, and, and um, communication with them. Um, it's just 
you know, we've been going there a long time. I think this year has been pretty good. So hopefully it'll keep in that, that fashion. So tonight, um, we'd like to focus a little on the local management board. And Mike will be giving you a presentation entitled Making a Difference Through Partnerships. Because unlike the other divisions that are heavily um, annually funded and we do the actual program services, Mike has a tremendous amount of partnerships that he funnels a tremendous amount of money through um, and gets a lot of programs for Queen Anne's County. So I would like to allow him the time tonight to highlight his programs and tell you a little bit more about them. Thanks, Kathy. Um, as, as Kathy mentioned, we've been kind of on a theme in our quarterly presentations to, to this group is the helping citizens across the lifespan. And today we're kind of looking at the children and families thing and specifically the local management board, which is division of the Department of Community Services. And as we talk about local management boards, one of our biggest problems related to PR and how we explain what we do in a tangible way is, is because we don't provide direct programming. Mostly we just try to bring programming in. And we're in state law, and we're supposed to make sure there's a local voice, and we advocate for what will work best here for children and families. But just in general, with human services, when you talk about human services and measuring, are they effective? Are they worth the money we're spending on them? It gets down to often, well, it feels good. And local management boards tries to move away from that measurement of does it feel good. We, we like that, but we're trying to make sure that children and families are actually better off for the, the services we're providing and the money we're spending. And it actually that the money that we're spending is, is the right amount. So as we get our results, that's one of my favorite things to talk about. But my next favorite thing to talk about is local manager boards and the boards. You can see up there all of our current board members, and they are a great group of dedicated volunteers. They're wonderful. Um, the local manager board's not an advisory group. Um, they make tough decisions about what funding should be happening and what works best for our, our community, and they take their job very seriously. Um, another reason it's hard to talk about the numerous successes of local management boards is that every achievement that's ever been made by the local management board was only possible because of our partnerships. And you can see there that we have a lot of folks on there. We've got you, the commission, right up top. You guys are a wonderful partnership and directly underneath of it. We have the Department of Community Services and all of our community partners across the, across the county. So they make a big difference in any, any achievement we have. We have to make sure we, we include them when we talk about it. And before um, I talk about some of the programs and the typical children and family results that you would think you would get out of a children and family program, I, I thought it was important. And I, um, Wayne Humphrey, a former board president, was here. I saw him earlier. But basically, he always had me put a slide like this up that, um, that shows that in, by fiscal year 20, we brought in $26 million of non-county funding into Queen Anne's County. Uh, that's not county general funds. That's not any county funds. That's state funding. <coughs> Um, so that's, that is kind of not a natural result, but it's also one that our board looks at. We also look at the fact that we did a survey of our own programs that we funded directly in fiscal year 2010, which is actually right around the time of the recession, and we funded 57 jobs directly with our programs. That didn't include the jobs that we funded through programs that have been started and now self-sustaining. We didn't include those. We don't include, like, the psychiatrist that we brought in. It's at Corsica River, things like that. It's just direct-funded jobs in that year, and it's about the same every year as funding goes. And then lastly on this slide is that about 90% over the years of the funding we get that goes out to the community is from money other than the county. 
So, I don't know if anybody's familiar, and it might date me a little bit, the movie Any Given Sunday. It was a football movie, Al Pacino. I love it. Um, so I think of this next slide, I, every time I think of it, I think of that movie. But it's Any Given Day at the local management board. And this is, on any given day, this is what we're doing. Um, that We start with the community needs assessment, and we look at what's needed in Queen Anne's County, either formally, stats, or what are people telling us? What do we hear from you? Um, then, we, then our board that you saw earlier prioritizes those goals and sets goal, prioritizes the needs and sets the goals. Then based on those goals, they establish strategies to meet those goals. And then depending on how we're going to implement those goals, we either have to find funding to do it, we have to find a strategy, we have to develop some sort of partnership to make it happen. So that's the next step. And then after that, if we hold the funds and provide the service, we have to contract with a vendor or a service provider to make it happen. And then lastly, after that, we got to monitor, provide them assistance, monitor them, and evaluate, and then the whole process starts over. So that's kind of any day and our desire to get results. This next slide, Kathy told me to go past it quickly, and it is a very complicated slide, and I do enjoy boring stuff, but I will tell you that um, there's only four, four points that I wanted to make in regards to this. One, it... it, it focuses on collective impact. Our local management board is about making a collective impact, which is a large-scale change utilizing broad cooperation across sectors while focusing on one particular issue. So we're pulling a lot of people together to make a change at a community level on one issue. Uh, the second issue is that it requires a backbone organization. So if you're bringing in a bunch of partners to have an effect and make a difference, there needs to be a group in there to organize and keep those folks in line and focused. And that's what the local management board does. Third, this is a schematic of the priority areas that we're currently focusing on. We change this a lot, and there's more to it. And then fourth, it measures, it shows the measure that we both, as a local management board, are trying to change things at a community level, like community indicators, which typically take more than one organization to change. And we're also measuring things at a program level to make sure that when a kid enters a program, that they're better off when they leave it. Not that we just counted how many were there, but they're actually better off because they're in that program. So an example of one of the population measures that we measure or is, is, a, is a big one that the governor likes, and it's youth have opportunities for employment or career readiness. And the data point that you're seeing there is that it's the percentage of children ages 16 to 24 who aren't in school and aren't working in Queen Anne's County. And to move an indicator like that requires more than just one program. So there's multiple strategies and multiple programs that go into it. So that indicator measures a population-wide community indicator, and then we have multiple strategies that do their individual things that help turn the curve on that. And for example, at the bottom, we have one program called Community Mentoring, just as one example, where they've shown that 100% of their participants in this current fiscal year, they've been able to show that they've actually improved their self-worth and self-esteem uh, just by being in that program, which is a small piece moves towards a desire to go out, look for a job, get off the couch, that kind of stuff. Um, another example of moving towards that same example is our Healthy Families Program. They're family support workers who provide home visiting services to expectant parents, and they begin as they begin their journey as a parent. And they measure, and they've been measuring the number of people they have that come in. They take the group that doesn't have a job and aren't in school, and then they take that group and they try to get them to either get in some sort of training or to get them a job, and or get help them get themselves a job. And about two fiscal years ago, we were up they did eighty one percent. Uh, a year ago, over half, 53% of the folks that didn't have a job when they started the program had one at the end, and then in the current fiscal year, 
And you can see where that one program measuring that affects the overall opportunity youth, disconnected youth population. And we have lots more data like that, and I could go on for hours, and you wouldn't want that. So, but we do have that, and we look at it, and our board looks at it very closely. And I also recognize, although I enjoy the data immensely, that there's other people that prefer other stories. They, they, they may be a little more exciting than me. So um, while I gravitate towards the data, um, I have to remind myself that it's important to listen to others. So we have to get in our presentations to Margie by the Wednesday before the group. So what I did is I set up a timeline for myself, and sometimes she's a little tough at that, but just kidding. So we, we, I set a deadline for myself. We sent out to all our program providers, and we said, um, you know, send us, send us just some tidbits about your programs. And whoever got in by the deadline, we made it into the PowerPoint. And I just listed some here. So this first one's from our Healthy Families program. They sent us pictures, and they sent us a lot of good, info, a lot of cool information there. And I just like to mention that the the one in the top right hand corner, the picture of Thiago reading, um, all the children in the book received the program. This is an example of Thiago, but. We want to be transparent. He's actually eating that book. I was going to say. But, <laughs> so, but it gets, we're, we're introducing to reading. And then you have a, a mom in the lower right-hand corner that is very happy about nutritional advice. And we have all kinds of quotes. And then at the bottom, it clearly, again, clearly takes a lot of partners, people donating where, to books. Where is this organization? Uh, they're, they're based out of the health department. Okay. So, and actually, that's one of those ones where we've used economy of scale to sustain them. So it started in Queen Anne's and Talbot. And our, our kind of health department's been the main. And now they've used um, economy of scale to go into Kent County and Caroline County to kind of keep, get more bang for your buck with those, those health departments and those two other is counties. Is this similar... I don't mean to interrupt you, but is this oh. similar to the, the Judy Center? It's not. They they're, it's early childhood, so in that event it is similar, and they are partners. But this is a home visiting program that home will... Home visiting? Yeah, it's a oh, home okay. visiting okay. program, yes. we got a MIC unit for families. That's awesome. Yeah, that's exactly okay. what this yeah. is. Um, so then if you go to the next one, we talk about our Family Navigator program, which is trained parents who themselves once cared for a child with intense needs and they work one-on-one -on -one with parents to advocate and guide them through a system. Because if you have a child with special needs you've never been there for, they navigate. And you can see by some of the comments there that, that she and the current family navigator is very well respected and appreciated. And next to that, you have the Achievement Mentoring Program, which is um, programming for folks in schools that have parents that have been incarcerated. And I just like some of the quotes there. I'm growing out of things like anger. And I was like reading that thinking, I wish I could learn that. Um, and it helps my, by learning, a kindergartner. And again, thank you, partners. Um, I think everybody here will be familiar with this group that got it in next. It's the Partnering for Youth. They are a wonderful program. Our local manager boards long support out-of-school time, after-school time efforts. They do an excellent job. Um, every year it's a struggle for them to continue to provide funding yet pull off the excellent program they did. They provide us with lots of quotes by parents and students. I picked a couple just to put them there. And um, then that bottom one, I think, in my mind says it all. I learned how to be a better person. Learn from my mistakes. Um, and then again, thank you, partners. The commission, you guys have played a very strong part in out-of-school time programming in this community and provide a lot of support specifically to this program. Um, and that's, that's much appreciated. Lastly, I'll just catch it real quickly, because I know you're familiar with this, but the Care Counts program, 
They're in there. That's just something that brightens days and reminds us of what's really important. And, and all of you have been great supporters of that. We're currently at 104 volunteers. 84% of our classrooms are covered. And you just can't say enough about that program. Um, just lastly, uh, when children are having a difficult time, we have a thing called the local care team. And it's just a group of human services professionals that are all different agencies. We come together and we coordinate them out of the local management board. And they have just years and years of experience and brain power. And when we have a child that's having a hard time, or a parent that's having a child that's a difficult time navigating the system, they can come and spend a couple, half hour, 15 minutes with us, and we can just listen and provide examples or open doors that they may not be able to open on their own. And you can kind of see the quote that this was the case that I truly felt fortunate to be involved in. And I wanted to thank you, the LCT team chair and the team coordinator and the members for all that was done. So it's just a matter of helping people that feel like they're one down, getting back and even. So, and this is the last part where I really want to say thank you for your partnership. When I talk to my colleagues across the state, my LMB partners, and I describe what partnerships I get from my commissioners, from my department, Department of Community Services, even from folks that support the commissioners, um, they're jealous. They really are. And I rub it in and they talk about the support we get from you. And um, I really think that a lot of our data is strong because of those partnerships and the people on the local management board that have made it. We have a lot that we still need to do, but because of those partnerships, because of that strength, because of your help, I think that we have a better chance of achieving those. So thank you very much for your partnership, and I'd like to thank all the folks in the community that have been part of it also through years. Kathy, how many organizations are you involved in underneath of you? I mean, there's so many different – every time you come in, there's – I find more and more and more. So. Well, I just lump it into three, but there's, there's probably like – a lot. Yeah. Um, I mean, we have, when you look at the grants and the money he's channeling, and while we say the stories are, are, are fun and better, the statistics, we can't get those funding, the funding without those statistics. Mm -hmm. I have 40 grants through aging alone. Um, all of those have application processes that we go through, lobbying efforts we go through, um, and you have to have the numbers to back it up. And they also do ask for some of the stories um, once in a while, which, which is nice. Um, there's so many revolving parts, whether it be through aging, and of course aging encompasses the whole transportation as well, mm -hmm. um, housing and local management board. Um, some days I'm not sure how we keep it all straight, but we're, we're a good combination of, of the, the brains and the statistics and the, and the, the feel-good stories and the boots on the ground doing the work. Um, this, is, this is what we love to do, um, and it works. The combination that we have with the Department of Community Services now works even better because we're connecting with each other just within our department. For for example, all of these programs for kids, I can't tell you how many times the staff on the aging side may get a grandparent who's raising that child, whose parent is incarcerated, things like that. We can map together a whole plan for these people, um, hopefully to help each generation through this process. Um, can't fix everything, and there's a lot of situations that are much bigger than us, but um, between all of us, we put our heads together and um, try to find a solution. 
As always, anything we can do. Thank you. You do a lot. You do. Uh, Compared statewide, you do. Um, And we're very appreciative. Well, that's So that's that's why we keep giving results, and it works both ways. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hang on. One question. Hang on. Wait, Kathy. Kathy, come on. Get back. Yeah. So listen, Maryland, just for general public interest, has the highest demographic income of any state in the United States. And we're the fourth or fifth highest demographic income within the county. And yet within our county, 5% of our people are absolutely impoverished, absolutely flat out. So we wind up with three, four, five thousand people in this county that are in real tough circumstances. And every once in a while, then once every month or two, I run across one of these and I call it Mr. Mike here, and he, with great generosity of time and effort, fixes things, writes letters about it, and I just want to tell you what a great job you guys do. Oh, that's really kudos. Absolutely. Thank you. Glad I sat back down. We know that. Thank yeah. You. <laughs> Thank you. Indeed. Thank you both. All right, Commissioners, our next presentation is uh, Mr. Ken Kozell, the CEO of Shore Regional Health, and Patty Willis, the Shore Regional Health Senior Vice President. So they can come on down. (coughs) And they did provide a uh, presentation outline. It was a desk item. Uh, It's got five points on there they're going to cover tonight. And any questions you all have, I'm sure they'll be ready to address those as well. I like your jacket. (laughs) Thank you. Good evening. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for giving us a few minutes on your agenda this evening. We appreciate it very much. Um, I'm here with Patty, my better half, so we'll be uh, able to provide you with an update on what's going on at Shore Regional Health and answer any questions you might have. But before we start, um, I, I wanted to acknowledge that we know that as leaders of one of Maryland's fastest-growing counties, um, you intend to stay ahead of the impact of growth in your community as much as possible and uh, so that vital services will meet the demands of the communities that you serve, whether it's highway construction, infrastructure, some of the housing and community services that Mike and Catherine just talked about, or healthcare services like the space Patty and I are in. Uh, We want you to know that we share your intent and interest in matching those anticipated needs, both today and what you foresee in the future, uh, with what healthcare services we are here to offer and provide in our community. So we are with you. We understand your intentions for growth. We support those intentions, and we want to make sure that the healthcare services that we provide <coughs> match your expectations for what the community needs. Uh, we are your primary healthcare service provider, and uh, we serve the Maryland's midshore. So we look forward to working collaboratively with you to understand what the needs are and getting there uh, proactively instead of reactively. So with that, we'd like to share a little bit of an update about our Queen's Anne Emergency Center and uh, focus on on that growth opportunity that we're presented with. And we'll start with the emergency center itself and the operations in the emergency department of the Queen Anne's Emergency Center. You know, it's not that long ago, but about 10 years ago when we first opened the center, we were just over about 8,000 visits for the first full year of care provided there. And uh, as of 2020, we're strongly now advancing beyond 16,500 to almost 17,000 visits this uh, calendar year, this fiscal year. So almost double the amount of patients that we've seen in just a 10-year period of time in the emergency center. And what we've noticed over the years is that patients that are using our emergency center are getting sicker. 
the sicker patients are coming to that center for care. Um, and what we've got to do is make sure that um, with that sicker level of patients that we're able to provide the level of service that, that are, is needed there. Because a good portion of those patients uh, may need to be admitted. And what we're finding is that about 3% of those patients that we see, about 50 patients a day that are seen in the emergency center, about three of those patients, uh, 3% of those patients each day uh, need to be either observed or admitted. And what we're finding is that those patients are often going to the University of Maryland uh, Shore Medical Center at Easton or the University of Maryland System Hospitals. About 80% of them are using our services for those admissions. So we really need to make sure that we've got the systems and processes in place that transfer those patients effectively to the higher level of care that's required. Um, with those volumes uh, nearing about 17,000 ER visits, you know, we believe that we have the capability to manage that volume of patients within the emergency center and can sustain additional growth there as well. And some of the things we're doing to make sure of that is we're constantly monitoring our, our patient experience scores, our throughput scores, how, how long does it take to get a patient from the time they enter into our facility to their final disposition, either discharged or admitted to a hospital. What are those times? What, what are our staffing levels associated with the care of the patients that we provide? Do we have enough providers, physicians, and, and advanced practice providers to help care for those uh, influx of patients? And all of that, though, is, is with the intent of making sure that we can get our patients safely disposed so we can see more patients within that center. So that's a huge effort that we're focusing on to make sure that we can continue to meet the emergency department demands both today and in, in the future. But even with that, there's things that we can continue to do to enhance the level of care and services that are provided in the emergency center. Specifically, we want to uh, allow for observation patients, those patients that need about 24 hours before their disposition, a safe discharge home or admitted into a hospital. We want to have those patients stay at uh, the emergency center in Queen Anne's where possible and where appropriate. Today, many of those patients are being transferred by ambulance to Easton, uh, where their disposition may be 24 hours later to go home. And we feel that if we can keep those patients at the emergency center in Queen Anne's, then, then that's the, the right place for the right location for the right time and the right care for those patients. So uh, it took some time to uh, ask for permission from the state agencies and then to notify those agencies that we intend to do this. But we have successfully completed all the steps necessary to clear the regulatory hurdles um, and have submitted a letter to the state agencies saying that on April 1st, we are officially going to conduct a pilot study for observation patients right, in the right, center. Right. Um, I'm sorry it's taken so long to get there, but sometimes the, the wheels move a little slowly. But uh, we've got all the support we need. Dr. Atha and Dr. Wang are ready to, to start that study, and we're going to conduct that starting April 1st. So that will really tell us um, how many of those patients we can safely care for in the emergency center and not put them in an ambulance with their families and take them to another site for, for care when, in fact, most of them are discharged within the next 24 hours. So a uh, huge effort there, and uh, appreciate all of your support to help make that happen. That, I'm sorry, Ken. Uh, the, um, that, that pilot, you're anticipating how many beds are you going to commit a, to that? And, and that's a great question. So what we're intending to do initially is earmark two of our emergency department bays for observation stays. Now, there are some days where we don't have observation patients. There are others that we may have up to two a day. So we'll earmark two, work with the staff and the providers to allow for those patients to be in those emergency department bays. With the remaining 12 bays, we're still capable of managing the emergency department flow very safely and effectively. 
uh, and see where it goes from there. Uh, if it expands beyond the two and the study tells us that we may need more, then we're going to take a look at other alternative options after that. But let's get the study up and running. Let's see how many patients we need, earmark two beds, and, and uh, monitor the progress moving forward from there. Good. Thank you. And, and another huge development that also addresses the growth in the community and our intent as the healthcare provider to uh, meet that growth demand really centers around urgent care. Um, we know that uh, the University of Maryland Shore Regional Health has two urgent care centers today, one in Caroline County and one in Talbot County. And they have provided a, a significant need. They've fulfilled a significant, a significant need in our communities. There are, there are patients and family members who don't have primary care who, or who need access to that primary care on evenings and, and weekends when their primary care offices are closed. Um, those centers have to remain uh, viable by having a number of patients get there. We need about 35 to 40 patients a day to keep those emer uh, urgent care centers up and running. And we recognize that with the growth plans for Queen Anne's County, uh, now's the time to take a look at uh, urgent care centers in this community. But before we could do that, we had to resolve one dilemma that uh, was brought to our attention about uh, a little over six months ago. And that was that our urgent care majority partner, Choice One, gave us notification that they were going to get out of the urgent care business. So at that point in time, we were uh, faced with a decision to make, either look for another partner, get out of the urgent care business in total and let someone else do it, or take on the urgent care business ourselves as the University of Maryland Medical System. And I have to give kudos to the Shore Regional Health Board, to the University of Maryland Board and our community who really told us we need urgent care. In, these, in our communities on Maryland's mid-shore. Uh, there are not enough primary care providers. There is an urgent need for patients who don't need to come to the emergency department for their care, but need access to care here on the shore. So with everyone getting behind the plan, we've formalized a decision, and we are now, as of March 1st, a couple days from now, full 100% owners of the urgent care businesses that uh, are under the UMS umbrella. There are nine centers in total, two of which are on the Eastern Shore, uh, the others are in the Western Shore, but as of March 1st, we'll be 100% owners of that. We really needed to accomplish that first step before we can now take the next step, which is looking at opportunities to expand urgent care services on the mid-shore. And as I mentioned, Queen Anne's County is uh, among our highest priorities to do that. Um, and we've begun discussions. Uh, we met with Heather Tonelli uh, and from, from the uh, county. And really, uh, for two reasons. The first is to really understand where the growth efforts in the community are going to be localized and centered around. And we, she gave us great information about the future plans and, uh, for development and economic growth. Um, but we also picked her brain about what might be the most ideal locations to choose or to consider as we're looking at uh, urgent care sites here on the shore. And she's been very helpful with providing us information and uh, giving us some advice and counsel on where these sites could go. So as we begin the business development process, we have uh, are dotting some I's and crossing the T's about where these centers could be located and uh, working with our partners to, to figure that out and put a timeline together for the potential growth here on, in, in Queen Anne's County. So, Ken, not to put you on the spot, but, but we know the urgent care center that, that was over near um, the firehouse closed down. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, is it because they didn't? You mentioned 35 to 40 patients a day is kind of the break-even point in order to be able to make something like this work. Did they was did they not have those numbers? I mean, do we know why uh, it didn't work out? Or 
I, I believe that was a different model of urgent care than the um, than the model that has been so successful in Denton and Easton. Uh, the Choice One model has been uh, true urgent care, as opposed to extended hour primary care, sort of okay. walk in uh, walk in after hours thing. And uh, and I think that that probably. Uh, limited some of the hours available because of the nature of the of the providers there and maybe limited some of the things even that were done at that locate or could be done at that location uh, whereas the, uh, the the urgent care model that we have uh, been supported by has been a, a different approach and and I think been successful hmm. because of it it seems to me that that, that it's a fine line to to, to be you know, do I need urgent care? Do I need emergency center? Mm -hmm. Do I need hospitalization? Exactly. So, I mean, to encompass, to, for citizens in, on the mid-shore to have those kinds of choices. Yep. Um, and a lot of it gets down to marketing and communication, informing the, the public as to where the appropriate place to go is for your care. And, and a lot of that is why we're successful, is because we've been able to share that with the communities that we serve and really uh, have the patient go to the right place at the right time in the right location. <coughs> So more of that to come, and our model is intended to replicate what we've done in Denton and Easton, uh, somewhere in Queen Anne's County. So can, just real quick, is there any thought to, because um, Queen Anne's County, obviously, uh, more so than Carolina and town, but we have a much larger landmass to cover. Mm -hmm. um, the, the county citizens are way spread out. Is there any thought to doing a north and south county in a smaller, maybe even redeveloping existing um, real estate that is sits empty now or vacant now that the county could help out getting that because i just think honestly we're, we're becoming an older population here i read the ems reports every week at the average age of the people being transported and i just have that feeling that if there was something closer uh, especially uh, coming out of chester harbor in that area with what we don't know about the hospital cross and they don't they don't really need to go there you right. know what i mean if there was an urgent care say in the churchill area or up there and then the other one was located somewhere in the queenstown area or something that was more relative to the islands or any thought process to maybe doing that because of the size of the county or yeah our initial thoughts are that we we would replicate the same model so the the real estate that we would use is is that storefront that's vacant okay. and, and retrofit those vacant storefronts into a, an urgent care center that's the model we've used before and it seems to work. It's not that expensive. Um, and we typically need between 3,500 and 5,000 square feet. So that, that's kind of what we need for that type of site. Uh, and, but honestly, that is the least expensive part of the process. The more expensive part is the staffing associated with the center itself. And you really need providers, techs, and, and front office personnel to make it work seamlessly so that the patient experience is great. That's where most of the expense lies. So when you start to uh, add sites, you have to duplicate staff because you've got to have all the staff in those areas to care for it. So that's where the business plan comes into play. That's where we look at, at uh, um, the census, the population uh, centers. We typically draw about a 12, uh, 10 to 12 mile radius around those centers so we know because that's typically how far people will travel for urgent care services. And we, we manipulate the county map to show us where the most opportunity is. What is what is what are the typical hours of your urgent care? It's usually eight a.m. to either eight p.m. or ten p.m. So about a twelve to thirteen hour. Window. About a twelve fourteen hour uh, day. Weekends a little lighter, um, but definitely um, uh, into the evening hours uh, for okay. those uh, communities that move. So this is exciting stuff for us. We're so happy that uh, we are owners now of the urgent care businesses, 
Uh, we're happy that, that uh, we've been able to communicate our success to our board and our shore and our UMS board and have the support of them to really look at the Eastern Shore as another location. And we want to focus in on Queen Anne's County as our primary area. So really excited about that. And we'll continue to work with your community liaisons to help us pick the right choice. And we uh, also want to thank uh, Todd Moan and the commissioners yourselves for, for giving us uh, Heather as a resource. She's been wonderful. <laughs> Um, we ran her out for parties, too. So, so. <laughs> um, okay. Well, uh, you've heard a lot about partnerships tonight, uh, your other presenters, and one of the partnerships that we're looking forward to continuing with and expanding is our partnership with, uh, with public health, with the Department of Health here in the county, which is partnering with uh, the WIC program, Women, Infants, and Children. Uh, it's a nutrition program that has been of long standing. And the Upper Shore WIC program has uh, been approved by the U.S. Department of Agriculture for a mobile um, WIC van, and that will travel around the county and um, uh, provide services at locations where people can convene. So one of the uh, requests that's been made is for the WIC van to uh, be located at the Queen Anne's Medical Pavilion campus there in Queenstown where there is access to public transportation, access to power, access to facility services, and they'll be uh, starting this summer um, I think in June or July with, uh, with a regular rotation of that van throughout the county, but that is going to be our partnership there, making that space available, making it highly visible, and working with uh, the health department and the WIC program to help promote and build awareness of the service available there. Uh, the more we can draw people to the community, to that campus, uh, the better it is for the public as well as for our services to be uh, be uh, made aware of. So we're looking forward to that very much. Good. Very good. And the last thing is just thank you. Uh, a couple of sessions ago, we shared with you some of the challenges we have with safety within our emergency center. And uh, Commissioner Wilson was, was first out of the gate to say we need to get a group together. And that included Scott Haas, and that included Dr. Ciatola, and that included Sheriff Hoffman. And the commissioner himself was there. And really, we brainstormed with our emergency center team as to how we can improve the safety for our patients and for our team members who, who work in the center. Um, I'm so pleased to say that that discussion spawned a number of initiatives that we have been able to implement since then. We've got a little bit more work to do, but uh, I'm just so grateful for your partnership and support for helping us identify some of the ways that we can address safety. and. You've brought your resources to bear as part of those solutions, and we just wanted to say thank you very much for that. Uh, the safety of our patients and team members means the world to us, and we'll do anything we can to help make sure that we're doing the best we can. We thank you for your support. Thank you. Very thank good. you. Sir, very happy about the observation beds. Uh, the urgent care, as you know, 12,000 was the number that Anne Arundel was handling when they folded. And their explanation of that fold was that the billing was of such a nature that they couldn't bill adequately to, from Medicare or wherever it was to support this thing. So I don't know what model you're using, but you know you're going to have a base of about 35 or 40 a day because they did. 
And uh, so that's the case. Then we, we are certainly be able to make it looking work. forward because the staff in the Queenstown facility is itself very much on edge with the building of this big assisted living thing right across the street. The build out of uh, Four Seasons, which gives us three times as many 911 calls as younger people. A median age household of 40 year old people gives us one per seven houses. A 911 for every five years or something. And when you get to 70-year-old people, you get three per, I mean, or excuse me, the other way around, three and seven. So it's it's more than double the amount of calls. So Four Seasons is in time going to be almost needing an ambulance company just to deal with it. We do appreciate your growth challenges. Uh, and uh, as your health care system, we want to meet those challenges head on as well. And yeah. we appreciate working with you to help make it happen. <laughs> I just your 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 numbers are interesting. I just I don't disagree with them. I'm just saying we've had discussions about those 40 year old households with three yeah. kids in our schools, <laughs> yeah. or we the seniors with a paramedic unit. So yeah, no, no, no. It's, it's, it's the fine line that we walk. Scott Haas yeah. once ran all our. Oh no, I, I I don't disagree with them at all. Yeah. No, yes. Speaking of a fine line, I just wanted to end by um, thanking Patty Willis, who has been our Senior VP of Strategy and Communications for the last 35 years at Shore Regional Health, and she's announced her retirement. Uh-oh. She's going to retire time. on June 30th whoa, 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 whoa. of this year. you got to get cleared by this group. I, I, I thought you'd want to do that, so I'm going to go and let you guys hash out with Patty. And all I'm asking for so is 10 more my, years. How, much, how, how, much, how many zeros can we add to her salary? Oh, my You're goodness. Us the green light I don't think we could pay her enough, and we can't find enough people to do the work that she's done since I've been here for eight years. She's been a, a, a godsend to me personally and to our organization, and we're going to miss her. But uh, I know you're going to stay local. So we'll have your expertise tapped into it. Yep. And, uh, but just wanted the commission to know that we're looking for six people to replace Patty. So if you have any names, please send them my way. Uh, you're too kind. But the, this is, uh, these are the highlights of, uh, of my time. And I thank you all for uh, being such great partners with us over the years. Um, it's, it's really been an honor and a privilege to work with you. I Thank thought you. the highlights were the crab feast. You know? <laughs> there yeah, you go. that too. Those <laughs> too. That's right. Thank you, everyone. Thank, Thank, Thank you. Thank you very much. Congratulations. Yes. Yep. Congratulations, Patty. Yeah. Yep. Well done. Thanks, Ken. Okay, commissioners. Our last presentation this evening, we have uh, Miss Megan Delgadio, our IT manager, and Andrew Dimania with Talkie Communications. Introduction and a letter of um, recommendation request from from uh, Talkie Communications as well. So, Megan, take it away. Commissioners, I am very happy to introduce to you um, Talkie Communications, who is a company who is expanding into Queen Anne's County already into the north part of the county near Kingstown. Um, and they are hoping to continue to expand throughout the county. They're looking at trying to take advantage of some federal opportunities that are out there with the ReConnect grant. So they are requesting um, a letter of recommendation be signed that they can include with their very large application that they're going to have to fill out for the federal government funding. So um, I wanted to give them an opportunity to come before you and kind of just explain who they are and kind of talk a little bit about their plans moving forward. And so um, it's actually anyway. Andrew and Andre. Yes. Um, we are twins. If you haven't, people say, are you twins or brothers? So we are owners of Talkie Communications. We, I live in Centerville. He lives in um, Chestertown. And we had a telecom communication for since 2012, and we moved into the ISP aspect of the, the business 
just last year. Wait, do you want to say? I know you have the whole presentation. I got the presentation. Um, yeah, this is our first time in front of, of uh, commissioners, so, you know, we're not used to Ours too, don't worry. About <laughs> okay. <laughs> All good. Uh, so, uh, just a little bit of our background. Uh, both Andrew and I uh, started at Verizon in 2000. Um, so it seems like a long time ago, but uh, we, were, we were kids there. We worked in the DSL department, and we worked uh, with all the telecommunications. And in 2012, we decided to start branching out on our own. Um, so we started our own phone company. We started in voice. And um, we know everyone knows that voice is a dying product. So we're like, we knew that wasn't going to be a product that's going to last much longer. So we started at that time to uh, get into the Internet. So it took a lot of planning, a lot of figuring out what we wanted to do, and we started uh, in 2018 planning, uh, bringing fiber optic internet to Chestertown. Um, because Maryland Broadband was in Chestertown, the pop was in Chestertown, we decided to go in, in Chestertown, and we started building out uh, in March, uh, May of 2019. Well, we lit our first customer in August of 2019, and uh, we are now successfully um, selling services in Chestertown. We have about, well, I guess I skipped a couple slides. Um, but we have about 85% of Chestertown completed. Um, when I say Chestertown, I'm talking about the corporate limits of Chestertown in Kent County. Um, I thought they were serviced by uh, Think Big. They have a competitor as well. Okay. <laughs> okay, so that's what I'm saying. So they're... But when you say build out, are you referring to you're putting cable down? Yeah, 100% our own fiber. Really? So um, we are actually doing the last mile to fiber into the neighborhoods. Uh -huh. So the competitor has a fiber backbone that they can go to county part to county to county, but they weren't really doing much with uh, actual neighborhood deployment. Mm -hmm. They have stepped up the game now that they have competition. Mm -hmm. And we have successfully done, when we go in, we don't do a one-off. We don't come into one house and say, okay, we're going to serve you, we're going to leave, we're going to ignore everybody. What we do is we come into the community just like Verizon would. We're modeling everything of our business off of how Verizon did it. Come into the community, service the whole community regardless if they want it or not. If they choose to have it later, it's all a plug-and-play situation afterward. So we would just call like you would call today, like Verizon, hey, I want my phone hooked up. There's no construction period needed. So what we do is we come in, we do all the fiber optics, all the boring and fiber optics. We either use contractors or what we have is our in-house uh, construction as well. Mm -hmm. So that was one of the things that Talkie did was in order to save money, paying contractors is extremely expensive. So we started, we hired the correct people, people that have been in the industry for 20-some years. We actually own our own drill and the one of the largest vibrating plows in the state of Maryland. They had a custom build our, our uh, blade. blade because of the requirements of state and Kent County. So we have a custom blade that can go 52 inches deep on plowing, which uh, Queen Anne's is not as deep as Kent County, so thank you. Uh, so makes it a lot harder. Anytime you go deep, we had to put special weights on the front of our machine. If you take a look at our Facebook page, you'll see videos of the machine. Um, you had to get tons and tons of weights in the front just so the tractor doesn't go up, you know, mm -hmm. upside down. Uh, so that was one of the things that we did in-house. We do use contractors as well for higher risk areas um, like downtown or uh, old, old, um, old septics, old water, because it gets hit. I'd rather their insurance pay for it than mine. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so right now we've employed 22 employees at uh, in Chestertown. Uh, most of them are either from Kent County or Queen Anne's County. Uh, we, 80% of our staff is ex-Verizon staff. So uh, that was really nice so we didn't have to train anybody. Um, so we have over 300 customers turned on right now in Chestertown. Um, I believe about 50 miles of fiber optics that we laid ourselves, 100% of uh, our fiber. And we are now working on Queen Anne's County. Um, we've already got the permits for Queen Anne's County. We have a remote cabinet going into Kingstown. We expect to have that started in March. Um, and then we're going to start uh, working in the uh, Kingstown area, starting off next to the river and moving down towards 544. Um, so I saw, you know, we have a map. It's got phase one, phase two, phase three. Give us, you know, a little overview of phase one. When are you going to do that? How long is it going to take? Phase two and, and phase three. And, and the reason I ask that is because there's, there's space between phase one and two and three. And, I'm, you know, when you talk about Chestertown, I'm wondering why we're skipping an area. Um, well, because we're still self-funded, mm -hmm. uh, we did have to take a loan out. Mm -hmm. uh, we need to get the base before we can go into filling the gaps. Mm -hmm. So really, it's very important for us to come into a community that has enough houses to pay back. Mm -hmm. The payback is four plus years. It's mm -hmm. very expensive. So Talkie does use Maryland Broadband um, to help us with the backbone. We couldn't do it ourselves. Mm -hmm. So without Maryland Broadband, we couldn't get fiber optics to the Eastern Shore. It's just right. not going to happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it takes about $110,000 a mile for fiber optics. That's doing it in-house. If we have a contractor doing it, it's a little bit more expensive. So another thing that we, we don't do is it's we, very, it's we very don't have automatic price increases. We don't have contracts. We don't have installs uh, fees. So we're doing a lot of this stuff. We want to be what we would want a provider to do for us. You hear competition charging install fees or contracts. You get locked into a contract. You're not happy with the service. You can't get out. You get frustrated. So our business model is a little different than other people that you've done business in the past. We're going to win you off of our customer support. And that's one of the things is if you have a problem, we're going to dispatch to your house. We're small enough right now. We don't have to walk through the phone and say, hey, click this button, click that button. Or if your printer is not hooked up, we'll just dispatch somebody. At the end of the day, we found our customers don't really want to learn how to do it or they wouldn't have called. They just <laughs> want it done. Yeah. So, and That would be me. Yeah, and we That's Jason. And uh, one of the lessons that we learned before we even started serving uh, Chestertown was we went to their, they have a, something called a breakfast club, which is uh, the community comes together. And they said, we don't need a gigabit. Everyone doesn't need a gigabit. If everyone realizes what a gigabit is for, um, you need to be streaming video games and TV to be able to utilize a gigabit. A lot of people just do Facebook or email or, like the other lady said, that download a PowerPoint presentation. You don't need, one size doesn't fit all. So we actually have four different pricing models. So we try to give someone that, if you just need the basic essentials all the way up to the gigabit, um, our technology actually goes to 10 gigabit, which is a lot more than even Verizon's offering right now to a business. So if a hospital wanted 10 gigabit, we can provide 10 gigabit. Um, so that's what our technology has. And the reason why you asked about um, uh, skipping areas, now what doesn't show... We're going to be obviously going down 213 because you have to connect the fiber together mm -hmm. in that map. But we're assuming that we're getting no money from WeConnect, no grant money. We're doing this all ourselves. So if we get ReConnect grant uh, money, that obviously we'd be going to the more lesser underserved areas. But we're assuming that we're getting 
zero grant money. So we have to hit the more populated areas first. And then once we get that, then we're going to go um, throughout the county. Um, I know the hot bed right now is everywhere near the Welcome Center. Um, I've got Facebook messages from everybody saying, please get down here. And we look at the map, we're like, how can that happen? Uh, well, we're trying to figure out how to make it happen. We know how to make it happen. Um, but with distance, fiber goes about 12 miles. And so you have to... G-Pond goes... G-Pond goes about... But G-Pond is the product that customers would subscribe to. It's very important to know. Fiber can go a lot further than 12 miles. It's just distribution fiber can go 12 miles. So every 12 miles, you have to have a repeater. That, and that is what we're doing in Kingstown because we can't get under the river. Um, we don't have the kind of money to get under the river, so we're going to be leasing Maryland Broadband and working with our partners to get under the river, and we'll be leasing four fibers. That four fibers cannot feed a community, so we have to put a remote cabinet in there, and we have to work with Del Marble Power, and we have to build a cabinet. It's, it's very expensive. That's $120,000 right there. So every 12 miles, we need one of these repeaters. Um, there are extended cars that can go just a little bit further, so getting down to from Kingstown all the way down to the Welcome Center or going down towards Ridgely and, and places like that, we need to put little remote cabinets everywhere mm. that have power. It takes a lot of money. Mm. Um, and a lot of people don't know, that fiber that gets pulled, a human has to pull that fiber. Um, I learned very quickly it's called mule tape. I just did a little experience. And I always wondered why it was called mule tape. And when we first started out, it was only about five of us. And I'm pulling the fiber. And I realized right then and there, the you know why it's called mule tape? <laughs> He's the mule. <laughs> That's right. That's uh, right. So it's a lot of work. It takes a lot of time. People think you can just deploy internet like that. Right. Um, a directional drill, which, which we would be using, can get about 500 feet to 800 feet a day. Mm -hmm. That's not very much, especially when we have to get from Kingsdown to Centerville to Ridgely down all down 544. It's a long way. Mm. Um, so it's a lot of work. It takes a lot of money and it takes a lot of labor. Mm. So phase one is because the, obviously the population in the, in the particular area, we have to get the money back uh, keep them, to keep the momentum going. And that's where our remote cabinet's going. So, yeah. But there's more. I mean, you can see the, the schematic shows there's roads in there, but you don't see any dots. Is, are those non-committals or are those just... Uh, we, we actually did those maps in GIS to show um, areas or dots. It looks like, I think they're addresses that have been passed by any competitor that's in that area. That's, those are the areas that are the potential addresses of unserved, unserved. people right now. Oh, the so dots those, are unserved. Those are just unserved, right? Okay. So there's tons of, there's definitely so, tons of houses. Yeah, if you look at the pink, um, I would say focus more on the pink. If there's a cluster of homes, we're, we're definitely going to hit them or businesses. Mm -hmm. So the first phase <coughs> is, uh, I think, uh, Fay Road and um, the little loop. Cannot, I'm not very good with names. We're going to start with that and then go down Fay, Fay Road and hit all the houses next to the water and to the word, the word phase one is going to be. Um, I don't want to give great details. The last time we've given great details in a public forum, competitor beat us like by two days or three days. No, I'm just. Uh, no, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. I don't mind telling we, anybody we, afterward exactly the, all the plans. There's more than this that we plan to do in Queen Anne's County. I live in Queen Anne's County. My house is not on this map, but trust me, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be served. Um, that was one of the things. So we are going to do where phase one is all next to the water. That's where we're going to do ourselves, our own crew. Um, and then we're going to have our contractor do another part of Centerville that's not quite on this map. So we can have two phases done at once. 
the contractor's price is literally double the cost of doing it um, as a contractor than in a house. Mm. But unfortunately, like you said, it takes so long to deploy. Um, you know, it, it might take us six months just to get that little section done. It might take eight months. We look at other drills. But that's one crew? That's one. Yeah, it's one drill. Um, so the plow can go very fast, but the plow's conditions to do it ha is very has, has to, to be farm land. like farmland. Farm there can't be other utilities that are too close. Hmm. And when it digs, it it digs, and it can go fast. We've done three thousand feet in one day with the with the plow. We did a foot a foot a minute. But, it can, uh, but there's so many can. variables. If the ground is soft because it just rained a week ago. You have to slow it down as the tractors, the wheels just spin. So the drilling aspect is the main tool. The plow is, okay, we got a nice long shot. Let's go ahead and run the plow. And the plow will bury the conduit at the same time it's moving. Where the drill, if you ever watched a drill, or I can invite all of you out to see it, it, it drills it in. Pulls and then it, it pulls yeah. it back. Yeah, so yeah, so the drill is usually for the neighborhoods, and the plows will be like 544, 213 on some spots of 213 if the state allows it. Um, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But uh, yeah, so we've already got the permits for Kingstown. It's just just a small part. The, the permitting process in Queen Anne's is very nice. The gentleman's really fast. So he wants to do it piece by piece. So on other counties, we, have, we are prepping months in advance because... It takes months to get approved. Uh, state highway is another issue. We've had issues with the state highway in the past. We believe all that trouble has been resolved. So we're stocking up all our state highway permits because without state highway, can't get we can't even cross the street legally. Um, so that's where we, we, we plan on. Um, so our own crew, phase one, two, and three is exactly where we're looking to hit. Um, we, we are looking to buy more equipment, additional drills, but they're expensive. Uh, we don't. We want to pay off some of our debt before we move on to buying and committing to more equipment because the payback is four plus years. And, uh, we believe we get a uh, letter from commissioners that we could submit to the reconnect that it might go help us in our favor. I'd like to make a motion to sign a letter in support of Talkie's uh, reconnect grant. Second. Okay, we have a motion to second. Any further discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. Good luck. Good luck, gentlemen. Very Good much. Guys. Thank you, guys. Yes. That concludes our presentations for this evening. We have uh, another press and public comment period if you want to anybody sign up. If not, we can. Would anybody like to speak? Sure? Nobody? Okay, no press of public comment. We want a round table? Round table it is. Mr. Wilson. Just in? You guys got to look okay. Um, you want to go in reverse for you? Sure. Okay. Uh, Mr. Dumino. Oh, wait. How's that reverse? I don't know. I'm not sure. <laughs> Shaking it up, Jim. Oh, I'm sorry. Whatever. No, we won't shake it up. Okay. Commissioner Corcorino, somebody here wants to speak. All right. Um, <laughs> we all want to. We're just... Well, we addressed it earlier, the uh, appearance that we, uh, the county made down at the, uh, the House in favor of the, Senate, uh, the, the House bill to give us control of the side roads. Um, I was really impressed by the quality of um, the presentation that we all made there. Um, just a, a great team that went down there 
from all different aspects. Um, clearly, everybody was very prepared with different aspects of the way that the, the county is affected by this traffic from emergency services to just infrastructure to the common stories of um, our citizens. I think we made a great presentation. I can't wait for it to get up so that people can see it. Uh, I hope we were persuasive. I, I know that even though it was um, very well received, at least it appeared from the level of questions that was well received, it's still a, a daunting task because this. What we're asking them to allow us to do is something that has not been done anywhere else in the state. So this is a, a unique law, but as we explained to them, we are geographically unique and um, our problems are unique and not created by us. Um, so I just want to thank all the members of the county who went down there to speak with us and, and were ready for that. I think that was really great. Um, I also want to do a special thanks to Commissioner Jack Wilson. We had the Mattapique Elementary Father-Daughter Dance on Saturday. Um, two of my daughters go there, and a week before the dance, the DJ canceled on us. And since my wife organizes it, she was frantic, which means I had to be frantic. Um, and uh, Commissioner Wilson stepped up and uh, served as a DJ and saved the father-daughter dance for all fathers and daughters at Mattapique Elementary. Thank you very much. And I had a blast. Thank you. There's a lot of energy in that room. What kind of <laughs> what kind of music were they requesting? Um, all over the place, actually. It really was. Uh, it's, but I mean, they, they had more energy, even without sugar. It was amazing. <laughs> oh no, there, there was a lot of cupcakes in the other room. <laughs> okay, now it's Commissioner Dumanel's turn. Well, um, I had an opportunity Friday night to ride along with one of our uh, <laughs> DES shift supervisors, Buddy Callahan. Uh, Friday night, um, fortunately, it was a quiet evening. Uh, we only actually had an opportunity to uh, respond to one call that came through, but had an opportunity to spend some time with the men and women that work at 911 Dispatch Center. And when I say spend some time with them, uh, it was a couple hours there in the Dispatch Center, and, and they were just uh, amazing folks willing to share with me how everything worked, the process of what happens when calls come in. And then, of course, you know, our, our county paramedics. You know, we, we're, we're very fortunate to have the folks that we have in the command staff there. Uh, I can tell you as a citizen, and, and trust me when I tell you this, we are in very good hands, very good hands. So that was a, wasn't a very, very exciting night as far as the number of calls. We only went light sirens one time, but that's a good thing, I guess. Good. Yep. There we go. Commissioner Wilson. Oh, Commissioner Wilson. Um, uh, I'd like to point out that we did have hidden in tonight's presentations one, two very good strokes of uh, news, which were the opening of the uh, of the observation beds, which is something we've been hoping. For would happen and now they're saying it's going to happen or we're piloting up and that's going to come out positive so that was sincerely good news and i will only embroider on the statistic for mr moran's edification that i once multiplied out the number of houses in four seasons and that at full strength if it got up to 1200 houses it would require its own ambulance, given the amount of time it now takes to go to Anne Arundel, it would require almost its own unit just to service it due to the higher 
frequency of senior calls. And that that combined with the ongoing uh, development of that uh, assisted living thing across from uh, the Slippery Hill item, I tell you, we are going to be under the gun as time goes up by. And we have a particular problem with the state, <clears throat> and it is this, that the state responds to everything depending on the data that's come in. The problem is, in order to stay ahead of the curve, you can't just look at yesterday's data and say, well, that's what we require now. You have to be jump the gun and see what's coming on. And what we've got coming on with assisted living, aging population, I am, we are really pushing, Todd and I have been on a number of meetings pushing these hospitals to keep us up to roll because you see what's happened in China when you get a flu explosion. And this system with a very moderate level of flu right now this year in the United States, Anne Arundel is backed up to the, you'd sit there for hours. And that's when things are running good. If they, if we get, it's highly likely that this flu, I have made something of a study of flus, and every flu goes away in April and May. Either that or it isn't a flu. There are no flus that have ever not done that. Even the famous 1918 flu came in the spring, disappeared in the summer, returned the next winter, killed more people than were lost in World War I in the United States, and then next spring disappeared. So it's highly likely that this Chinese flu is going to go into remission. But equally, just as the 19 flu came back the next year and then killed millions, this thing is very likely to rebound next fall, so in some variant. So it's something, and we don't know whether we'll have a vaccine or not for it. Probably not, and the vaccines are only 50%. So it is something we're going to be looking at hard and trying to keep the hospitals up to speed with. We're thinking about it. That's it. Okay. Mr. Wilson? <laughs> Not sure how to follow oh, that news. We're going to bring you down. <laughs> Man, where to start from that? Um, well, I don't really have that much good news either. So uh, one thing I wanted to share is our, uh, our CTE bill that we had introduced last year um, to establish uh, Chesapeake College as a regional uh, technical school has made it back into the uh, House and actually Senate this year. It's been cross-filed, so it, it is being heard on both sides. It's already been heard in the House and was received quite well. It's House Bill 603 for those of you keeping score. Um, the Senate bill is going to be heard on March 3rd, and that's Senate Bill 794. So if you're so inclined to send support letters, I'm sure Senator Hershey would appreciate that. Um, I, I understand. Like I said, the hearing in the House went very well. It was received just as it was last year. So hopefully this year, fingers crossed, it gets through and we're able to move forward over there with a uh, regional tech program with a lot more programs than we're presently being able to provide at our schools. Um, secondly, yeah, on the third, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, then we have the. Okay. So everybody's been watching the news this week, I'm sure, and, and some may or may not be a, a aware of House Bill 1628, which is the new um, sales and use tax bill uh, that will basically it, it covers up to 60 services right now that are presently not taxed, from accounting to lawyers to contractors to 
I mean, just about everything in between you can think of, if it's a service and it moves, it's going to get taxed 5%. And this is obviously to pay for the Kerwin bill in just one failed swoop. Um, But kind of hidden in Annapolis right now, and what concerns me more than just this particular bill, it's it's one thing if you're going to hit me in the face, I'm okay if I see it coming. But there's a series of probably 12 to 14 other bills that are in the working their way through the legislature now, which I kind of call the chihuahua nipping at the ankle. They're, they're little bills that are going to they're going to drag money out in different areas, and that was the original plan was to go out and, and kind of onesie twosie get to this money that the state needed for Kerwin. And unfortunately, this bill's come out. Its likelihood of it passing this year is probably slim, but it will be back, I'm sure. But again, my concern is the fact that we have these other little bills out there that are going to also be a burden on businesses and the consumers that not a lot of people are talking about. And and they're not going to add up to $2.6 billion like House Bill 1628, but they are going to come out of everybody's pocket in the long run, depending on um, where you're at. Uh, One bill, um, I think I discussed at the last meeting, that's kind of concerning to me, and especially with what we have going on in the Narrows, and and after hearing tonight's... uh, um, presentation is the fact that they, they want to roll back the most recent that we were able to take advantage of, the enterprise zones uh, here in the county. And we've got a rather expansive enterprise zone that has actually showed fruits for having it. We've had it just under two years, I believe, now. And one of the bills in there is to pull all that away. So that takes you know tools out of our economic development toolbox right then and there when we're just starting to get our feet underneath of us using some of this stuff. So it's some of that ill-advised stuff. It was, it was a lot of knee-jerk stuff at the beginning of session where these bills were thrown in trying to uh, scurry money for uh, the Kerwin, and then all of a sudden the bomb dropped last, I guess it was Thursday or Wednesday, with this huge omnibus tax use bill. Yeah, we're going you know, to drop your sales tax a penny because that's only on $10 billion, but we're going to charge you 5% on this other pool of money we've never touched, which is $100 billion. So it really sounds good on one end when they say they're dropping the sales tax a penny, but on the other side, they're pretty much marking up everything else that you're not paying on now. So just keep an eye on it. Like I said, I don't think it's going to go anywhere. Um, as far as Kerwin uh, and the county's concerned, we as Queen Anne's County are in, in great shape to meet the Kerwin obligations without raising taxes or, or taking the county bankrupt as it stands today, and I say that cautiously because it has not officially passed with final numbers on it, but where it stands today, we're, we're in good shape, and, that, and that, that speaks to how we funded education up until now. Um, that's why we're in such good shape. So for those detractors out there to say we don't give enough money to education, the figures tell a different story. And I'm sure over the next few weeks as we enter into the budget, we're going to find out that there's we may or may not be right or wrong on that one. So that's all I got. So let me just dovetail onto that. Kerwin says, Kerwin says, what is the county supposed to be giving above last year's total? Means of effort. Right. So what, what is, what's the dollar amount? That, so, uh, so based on last year's with, with the funding that came back through um, as part of last year's passage, it would be basically the same as we did last year. Um, so a million and a half to a million eight would get the, another an additional million from the state. So it would take it up two point eight million dollars. By Kerwin, that would be our obligation. We, yeah, actually, Kerwin, our obligations ramped down from that a little bit. We're we're actually, uh, I think, we're about one point five six a year from now until twenty thirty, and we we will meet the Kerwin obligation. So just so the public's aware of that 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 is what the Kerwin, according to this. 
three-year plan that everybody's been fighting over and dealing with, and Queen Anne's County does sit in a good place because we have been uh, funding that plus funding above maintenance of effort, and our our fee this year should be between 1.6 and 1.8 million dollars above last year's budget for our school system. Our school system is, system is going to be presenting to us an ask of five million dollars. So now we are caught in the crosshairs again, where here we are. Kerwin has come out to say, here's what we should be paying, and apparently it's still not enough. So I just want everyone to be aware of that. Uh, I watched the budget hearing that the Board of Ed had, and the ask is, is about three and a half above maintenance of effort, which is about $5 million. To, to the other Wilson and his uh, your uh, coronavirus, I don't disagree with what you're saying. You're right. It, 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 you know, I don't know about the hibernation, but it, it will come back. But just keep in mind, it'll come back for everybody, not just Queen Anne's County. Oh, yeah. So I don't see in, in that type of pandemic us transporting anybody anywhere but filling up the hallways in our emergency room because that's just the way that's going well, to be. Well, they shut you down. Let's face right. it. I mean, just they quarantine nowhere for anybody you quick. To go, so. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, you know. Uh, it might help with the traffic. That's true. Look at the bright side yeah. here. So, well, and that's now we'll go to the traffic portion of it. So we should just set people up. at the bridge on this side with masks yeah, on, and they won't right. know what, what it is. So we did. We did. We did a great job. I think that the, the whole team uh, did an outstanding job. Uh, I had a couple conversations with some delegates that came up and said, "You answered everything the right way," and and uh, especially the one question about well. You know, has this ever been done before? Yes, it has been done. It's done every time there's a major sporting event. It, the state does it during the summertime every day of contraflow. Contraflow is changing the direction or, or uh, limiting the, the, uh, where you can and can't travel. So, you know, uh, it, it, our best foot was forward. I can't wait for QAC TV to put it out there. People can watch it, make your own decisions for that. And you know, the last thing I want to talk about is last Saturday. Uh, all the commissioners, all the delegates, the who's who came out to uh, the Arts Council in our pink shirts and pink ties and served uh, tea to, to all of our uh, esteemed uh, female citizens in the county. And it was, it was a good time. So, you know, with, with that being said, I'll entertain a motion to head on out of here. So moved. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Thank you very much. Aye.